I'm Kyle Homewood, Director of Community Engagement and Special Programs at Arizona Opera. It's my pleasure to bring you this episode of the Arizona Opera Podcast. In recent weeks, Arizona Opera has been highlighting our next-gen programs. These are programs that go beyond the productions that we put on stage. They include education, artist training, and audience development programs. In our last episode, we focused all on K-12 programming. This week, we'll be focusing on Arizona Opera's Production Apprentice program. This program brings theater artisans to Arizona Opera as they're establishing their careers, and it gives them tools to build on their professional skills. As a part of this program, Arizona Opera has apprentices in multiple different areas of the production teams. There are apprentices in the costume shop, also lighting and technical apprentices, and stage management apprentices that help run our shows. In this episode, we're going to focus specifically on the costume shop. And to do that, I sat down with our costume shop manager, Kathleen Trott. She tells us more about what the process is like to have costumes built and ready for an opera production, as well as the different people that comprise the costume shop and are able to bring this art to life. She'll also talk a bit more about the apprentice program and what it looks like for those that participate. I hope you enjoy this inside look at the Marlou Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop. Kathleen, can you start by introducing yourself? Um, I'm Kathleen Trott. I'm the costume shop manager for Arizona Opera. Thanks for having me. And how long have you been at Arizona Opera? This is my seventh season, I think. So it's been quite a few years. Oh, wow. That's that's a fair amount of time in the opera world. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what you were doing prior to coming to Arizona Opera? Um, well... I was working as the lead draper and the workroom supervisor for a conservatory professional theater company in California. Um, But I have worked for other opera companies in the past. I've also worked for some Oregon, some Shakespeare festivals, including the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. From my end, from the costume shop's end, it's all very similar. Um, So being in wardrobe for cost for um, musical theater as opposed to opera, there are minute logistical differences, if you will, but the general scheme, if you can work in opera in costumes, you can also do ballet. So it's all sort of a very similar thing in that way. So it wouldn't necessarily have to just focus in one facet of theater their whole career. So many people don't know this, but Arizona Opera has its own full functioning costume shop in-house. 
that builds the costumes or tailors the costumes for each of our productions. Is that something that's common in the opera world or perhaps less common? It sort of depends. So I feel like it's less common for an opera company to have a fully functioning costume shop the way that Arizona Opera is lucky enough to have. Because a lot of opera companies, their space and their office and their performing venues are only open for a smaller chunk of the year. So they only work in that space when they're going to be performing in that space. So they don't have full-time year-round facilities or staff, which means then that those companies don't necessarily build as much as other ones do. one of the main differences in wardrobe and in, in costumes between opera and a lot of other theatrical venues is that there are a lot more completed packages for costumes that are rented from company to company to company um, because opera tends to have such a small rehearsal period and production period that a lot of places don't have the money or the facility to develop a full show all on their own for every single show that they do. But generally from my experience, a theater that focuses on things besides opera is more likely to have a full on-site costume shop than an opera company. But that being said, because of the size that opera often is, some of the best costume shops sometimes come with opera companies because when they have the facility and the time, they are allowed to staff their um, members more of the year than some places that are forced to only have staff for three months. I'm interested to know, how is the process different for you all? Other than, you know, I guess... On the surface level, it seems like there would be obvious differences between when a company rents a costume package and when they build it all in-house. How does your process change when you're in either of those scenarios? So when we are renting a package as opposed to uh, from the ground up doing a new concept and a new production, um, the timeline is often longer you have to start a brand new thing much farther down the road than you do a rented package because a rented package already exists. So you need the cast and you send the cast to the company and they pull to size or they just send you everything they have and then you make it work in your shop. But if you're doing it brand new, you start a year to four years out from when you're going to be producing it because you have to have meetings with the director and with um, the artistic members of the company that decide the concept that you want to present. So, you know, for example, um, Magic Flute, when we did Magic Flute, it's a more stylized version of Magic Flute. So somewhere at the beginning of the process, someone had to come up with that idea and it had to be approved by the president of the opera or whoever it is decides that that is the venue that they would like to pursue. And then your designers have to start having meetings with the director about 
color palette and expression and movement um, and also the practical sides of it. Like, well, does this person have a new costume every single time they come on stage or do they have one costume through the whole entire show? Um, you have to pick a time period and then costume designer has to work with the set designer to make sure that the two things uh, match, but don't match so much that the dress is literally the same color as the wall. Um, and then it's just a floating head, which is funny if that's your purpose, <laughs> but it is not funny when you notice that in dress rehearsal. Right. Oh my gosh. I, I would never even <laughs> think about that scenario ahead of time. <laughs> it's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would guess. And I know that there's a ton of research that goes in, especially when you're designing costumes for a show, to make sure that everything matches up with the time period that it's set in and, and many of the other dramatic elements. Where do you, as a costume designer and your team, where do you all start from when you need to do this research? Even when you're not a costume designer. So like if I'm being the costume shop manager, um, and I'm not the actual designer for a show, I still end up, even if it's mostly just like secondhand absorbing a whole bunch of research for the show, because I have to know where the beginning ideas were coming from in order to have um, a lucid conversation with the designer about this thing that they're referencing. Our Cutter Draper um, has a whole bunch of background knowledge of history and things and she sometimes will do some of her own research but every time I've ever designed anything once you decide what the time period is and how it's going to work you just sit and do hours of research and you can do it on um, the internet is both wonderful and not but it makes it easier to start now because I can just type in 1770s ladies costumes French and it will just pull up for me hundreds of fashion plates from that time period. And it will pull up portraits and other costumes that people have made in movies. Um, it will pull up things that people have made for reenactment. It will pull up things that people have made to sell on Etsy. And so I just, you end up with like a plethora of all of this stuff and you just kind of have to start wading through it. We all really sort of love that research quality of it, that, well, it's based on thing that actually existed, and we're going to modify that to make it be something that's never existed before, um, which is one of the differences sometimes with fashion and theater, is that when you're designing for theater, you're designing based off of something else for someone in particular, as opposed to in fashion, when most of the time you're designing for not someone, but a set of people. There are really great fashion designers who do a whole bunch of research and they base their own fashion off of something historically. And those are the ones that are beautiful and long lasting and we know their names and really like them. But your mass market fashion that's off of the rack is often not at all the same sort of thing. Not to say that there's not research. There definitely is in that industry, but it's going about it a whole different way. Um, theatrical costumes is a little bit more like art restoration, art reproduction in some way, in that 
it has to be something that the audience will look at and find believable as what you're telling them it is. Um, and our modern audience does have quite a bit of background knowledge embedded in them in history because we absorb so much media content that even if they don't know they're learning what a 1770s dress from France looks like, they've learned what a 1770s dress from France looks like because they've watched movies that are set in that time period. And sometimes that's a boon and sometimes it's not because we have this thing that we constantly have to balance um, history versus our audience expectation. Yeah, that's incredibly interesting to know the amount of research that goes in, but also that it's important to balance that uh, research and what's true to history with the audience expectation, because ultimately it has to um, please an audience, for, for lack of a better word. After hearing more about this research that goes into developing a concept for costumes for an opera or for uh, a, a theater production, I would love to know a little bit more about the individuals that actually bring all of this to life. Um, something that's so interesting to me is how there are many different um, specialized personnel within a costume shop. It's not that you have you know the same 10 group of uh, people that, that all have the same set of specific skills. Um, there's a lot of specialization that goes into it. Can you tell me about some of these different roles that exist within a costume shop and, and how they all function together? Yeah, absolutely. So my uh, costume shop is made up of a whole bunch of different people. And um, like you said, they do sort of specialize in an area. Um, and it's very similar to any other industry that, you know, your master carpenter doesn't probably can weld, but isn't the primary welder on your home because that's not the area that they have chosen to focus on and to fine tune all of their skills. So um, I have in the costume shop and most costume shops have some bit of this in different numbers of people. Um, we have a cutter draper. And so that position, they take um, research and measurements of the performer and the drawings or the collage or however the designer has chosen to represent what they would like to see on stage. And they turn those things into a paper pattern. Um, and then the paper pattern goes to our first hand and they lay that paper pattern out on a um, mock-up fabric. So a mock-up is a version of the garment, but made out of a cheaper fabric, um, possibly with openings and seams that won't exist in the finished one. It allows us to get the fit just right, to make sure the design lines look good on a person. You can draw something and it might look beautiful or you can collage something or find an image and it just might not read very well on the person. And so then you get into that balance, like I said before, where we have to play a little bit of a zhuzh both ways, the history and the what works best. So our first hand takes that pattern and cuts it out and then it goes to our stitchers and our stitchers 
stitch it all together. Um, the mock-up generally goes together with a longer stitch. So that way in a fitting, if we have to pop something open and repin it, it's really fast and easy to do. Um, and then our cutter draper goes into the fitting with the designer and with our assistant who takes the notes for the fitting and they not notate on the mock-up garment and on the paper, lift the center back out here, swing this line three inches over, hem up five inches, slash and spread, all of those things that mean very specific things to a pattern maker. Um, then the cutter draper corrects the pattern, hands it back to the first hand, and the first hand will cut it out of the fashion fabric. And then it goes back to the stitchers and they stitch it all together. We try it on the performer again, um, make sure everything's good. And then it comes back out into the workroom for the stitchers to do all of the finishing. So that's put the hem in, put the closure in, do any alterations to the fit that might need to happen. And then it gets all finished and it goes on stage. But every garment that's on that stage, even the ones that we're not building, has to go through a sort of similar process in that they go into the fitting room, we put them on the performer, we pin up the hem, we pin out darts, we let out seams if we need to, so that way it fits the best that it can. So that way the performer can feel safe emotionally and I mostly mean when I say that that they feel comfortable in their clothes in a way that lets them do what they need to do and then in opera that they can support their breath properly and in musical theater and in ballet that they can dance um, if your garment looks beautiful but your performer can't do any of those things they can't perform in it for whatever way, then it doesn't matter. It's not a successful design. It's not a successful costume. Um, you have to go back and try it again, uh, which is also one of the differences between theater and fashion is that since we're doing it for specific piece of um, art, it has to support that art, to support the performers in the art. And if it's not doing that, like I said, it doesn't matter if it's beautiful, it's a failure, um, which is one of the things that a lot of us like in the costume shop actually, is that it's a collaborative piece of art that is much bigger than what any of us could do on our own. And part of what makes it successful is finding that balance of it's beautiful and it is workable. And it can be ugly and still be beautiful. You know, the, there are whole garments that are just distressed and ratty and bloody and but they're still beautiful in their own right, even though that wasn't the point. So then after we've done all of that in the costume shop and all of those staff members have fit and altered every piece of clothing that's going on stage, then we go to the performance space and I have a whole separate group of people who are on my wardrobe crew and their job is to maintain the um, artistic integrity of the design and to help the performers in and out of their clothes. So your wardrobe crew does laundry, which isn't very glamorous, but it does need to be done, and we appreciate that they do it. Um, they do all of the presets for the show. So um, especially in musical theater, all the times where people run off stage and then a second later they come on in a completely different costume, the wings of that space are filled with clothes that have been puddled down onto the ground, 
and shoes that have elastic laces and things draped on chairs so that the performer can run off, the wardrobe crew can strip those clothes off, put the new ones on, and then the performer can go back out on stage. And then our wardrobe crew at the end, they check everything in, put it back into our gondolas because we're technically a touring company. We perform in two different spaces in two different cities. So we pack everything up for them again, pack it up and bring it back to our space where we check it all in, clean it all, restore what needs to be restored. If we've rented anything, um, it goes back to the renting company. If we have built it or purchased it, then it goes into our stock. Um, by time period and type. So that way it's available in the future for us to use for a different show or it's available for another company to rent from us. Wow, that that is quite the process. It's amazing to hear all of the moving parts and also to know that it, it's oftentimes a several year long process from design to build to having a show and then the costumes continue to have a life after they've been performed in once. They may be used in that same production elsewhere or in a different production entirely. Uh, another thing that I think is amazing that is going on at the Arizona Opera Costume Shop is the development of new artists um, that will, are developing their own careers uh, in costuming. Uh, there's a wonderful apprentice program um, that exists. And I would love if you could tell us a little bit more about what that program is like and um, how you all are working together and, and actively building these careers for young artisans. Sure. So yeah, Arizona Opera is blessed to have this really great production apprentice program. And the costume shop is lucky enough to have anywhere from one to four apprentices in our costume shop each season and they an apprentice who comes into our costume shop they come as a professional apprentice um, but it is also a learning opportunity for them when we bring in an apprentice we expect that they won't have years and years worth of experience in most of the facets of what um, we will be asking them to do and we do master classes with them um, so Shelby who is our painter dyer. Um, and she's also, this last season was the shop assistant. Um, she gives them, she holds a class where she teaches about dyeing fabric and painting um, on textiles and different methods that you can do that. So um, we do classes like that. We did a mini master class um, a couple years in a row that was about tailoring. So that way our apprentices got to hand tailor jackets. So that way they would be able to know how to tailor regardless of the machine that a shop might have available um, or the space that a shop might have available in their future. Because our expectation is that after their one to three years with us, um, they would then go out and work successfully as a professional on their own. and our apprentices get the opportunity to dabble in everything in the costume shop. Um, so our apprentices, when they come in, it's with the understanding that they will be on a wardrobe crew for at least two of our shows. Um, they will probably get to assist um, the designer in some way or the coordinator in some way. They will definitely get to stitch. They will get to build brand new garments from scratch. They will do tons of alterations. 
Um, they might even get to do craft work, which includes millinery and armor and things like that. They'll definitely get to paint shoes because we end up painting shoes a whole bunch. Um, we also try to do an exchange with a couple of the other local theaters. So we um, work with Phoenix Theater, who's just across the street from us. And we send our apprentices over to them for a few days and they will send their interns and apprentices to us. So that way they can each get experience in a different type of theater. So it's nice for our apprentices to be able to go to other places and experience that. It broadens their um, abilities and skill set and makes them much more hireable in the future, which is part of the ultimate goal of our production apprentice program is that regardless of which field you're coming into us wanting to work on, you can go out and work professionally and be successful and you've made connections so that if you would like to work in technical theater, then we would like to give you the education, the professional um, skill, the experience to be able to do that successfully. Yeah, it's amazing all of the things that go into it. I think costuming is certainly an area where the more that you learn about it, the more you are hungry to, to find out even more information and, and to see more pieces and uh, hear more about how the whole process works. But Kathleen, thank you so much for giving us this brief insight, uh, kind of the bare bones of what happens in the Arizona Opera Costume Shop. I really appreciate it. Sure. And uh, actually... Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. And I do want to say, you know, I, I spoke with Cassie Roble, our Director of Education, uh, for the podcast a couple mm -hmm. of weeks ago. And I, I said something to her, and I feel very similarly with the work that you're doing. Um, personally, as an opera fan and somebody who loves seeing the work that, that you and your shop produce, and then also the work that you're doing to continue to develop artists for the future of the art form, I just want to say personally, thank you so much for all of this work that, that you're doing. And uh, I, I personally can't wait to see it continue um, over the next many years, um, as I've enjoyed seeing it over the past several years. So thank you. Yeah, of course. We're happy to be part of it and to help other people continue down that path. And we're all here because art is important to us. So it's nice to be able to be part of the grand sum that we are part of. If you're like me, and this conversation has only further piqued your interest in operatic and theatrical costume production, Make sure you follow Arizona Opera on social media, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, because we regularly post things having to do with our productions and often post images related to costume production and other aspects of each of our productions. Similarly, these social media platforms are often the best way to find out about events that highlight these different areas of Arizona Opera. Each season, the company does at least one workshop of some kind that's open to the public where we either feature an aspect of our costume shop or, in some cases, even teach audience members how to perform a certain skill that is required in building costumes. So please find us on social media where you'll be the first to know about any of these events taking place. 
Similarly, this is the best place to find out more information about our other apprentices that work with Arizona Opera. Please also make sure that you subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. That'll be the best way to find future episodes as they're released. In our next episode, we'll be featuring the Marion Roos Poland Arizona Opera studio artists, young singers that are establishing their careers. So we very much look forward to that. I want to take another moment to thank Kathleen Trott for taking time to sit down with me. The work that she and the rest of the artisans in the Arizona Opera Costume Shop are doing is really fantastic. And as if that weren't enough, they're also spending their own personal time during this COVID-19 pandemic to make mask covers for first responders and healthcare workers. It's truly a remarkable way to apply their skills to help others that are servicing our communities. Thanks again for joining us for this inside look at the Marlou Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop. Arizona Opera's Production Apprentice Program is made possible through the support of Karen Fruin, Paul S. Simchich, MD, Billy Joe and Judd Herberger, Nancy Foster, and Fred and Arlene Schwartz. I'm Kyle Homewood. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Arizona Opera Podcast. Mm -hmm.